0: You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Amie Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So, if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everybody, welcome back to One Broken Mom. It is uh, still, um, I'm recording this towards the end of May, and uh, that means is when you guys are probably listening to it, I'm not sure on my my production schedule for coming out sometime around June or July, I don't know, just kind of rolling with it here right now. Um, But I have with me a guest that many of you have really enjoyed listening to. Her name is Anna Runkle, and she has a program called The Crappy Childhood Fairy. Um, I met Anna actually about a year ago when a listener actually recommended her because Anna's forte is her healing and her, her work that she does with other abuse survivors, particularly with complex PTSD. And that is a uh, kind of a, I would say not a newer phenomenon, but it's a, it's a level of, um, uh, mental health that a lot of people weren't really aware of you know for many years which is the effects of long term exposure to stress or abuse and how it actually creates another form of post traumatic stress disorder and we 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 know it from the military standpoint but not so much of what childhood experiences can actually do and um you know a couple of years ago i was diagnosed with cptsd because of long term exposure to um tra- you know trauma and how it manifested in life and so um Uh, Anna was recommended and then Anna and I connected a year ago and uh, it connected with a lot of you. So I reach in a pandemic that can be pretty triggering, especially if you're dealing with post-traumatic stress and now you're in traumatic stress, not post, but kind of in it, (laughs) right? So I wanted, um, I wanted you, Anna, to come back on and, and be able to talk through this as we're kind of in the heat of the moment. You know, there's not a lot we can do right now, but there are some things that we can do if we're still, you know, kind of being amped. And, you know, you guys don't know this, but Anna and I have actually spent 30 minutes off the record talking about a lot of very triggering things that we may or may not get into. Um, but we wanted to create a safe place. And she and I um, want to be able to get on here today to be able to talk about. Um, you know, I, I, had described it as like a teeter totter, you know, how situations like this, especially if you've got a trauma background, even if you don't like, Anna, like you said, Anna, like you don't necessarily have to have trauma to find yourself kind of teetering here. Um, but how, when you do have a trauma background, it's easy to kind of like lose your sense of balance. And, um, and you described yourself as like the ministry of centralism. What was the word that you used to describe? Unity. I thought minister unity. Of unity.
1: Yeah. a
0: minister of unity. Absolutely. Um, so, so I want you to start us at the beginning of what the definition is, because I, you know, I do know that sometimes people jump into one broken mom and it's like, this is the first episode. And then I want them to go back and, and hear our other episode that we did. But uh, before they get there, can you help lay out what is different between the the normal, air quote around the word normal PTSD that people are used to seeing and understanding and what CPTSD actually is?
1: Yeah. So PTSD is something that's kind of familiar to the whole culture because of combat veterans. And that's kind of what got introduced to us starting in about the eighties. It became common knowledge. Post-traumatic stress syndrome was this set of symptoms that people get after going through something horrendous. And we associated it with soldiers because many of them were coming back from a combat situation, um, in what they used to call shell shock. And some of the symptoms are, um, like extreme emotional volatility, can get angry very fast, Um, can't sleep, bad dreams, nightmares, flashbacks, which are a little different than a nightmare where you start to remember something in a normal way, something bad that happened, and then all of a sudden it sort of takes over your whole nervous system and you're reliving it like on an endocrine level, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) your heart's going fast. Those are some of the symptoms of PTSD. Complex PTSD is... It's not yet officially recognized as different than PTSD, but it has a different, slightly different symptoms and slightly different treatments for it. So complex PTSD is what we call trauma that happened over a long period of time. So this could be something like somebody who lived through a whole war for four years, you know, they were getting bombed or shot at, or um, more, most commonly someone who was a child in, an, in a chaotic home where there was violence, drug abuse, a parent incarcerated, somebody died, nobody could pay attention, mental illness, sexual abuse, those kind of things. They go on over time, and especially when they're taking place during childhood, they change brain development. Now probably all PTSD has a very strong brain component, but the revolution in thinking about childhood trauma, like we've always known that people who had a rough childhood were more likely to be depressed or anxious or get together with abusive partners. But then in the last 20 years, the research emerged that this chronic exposure to intense stressors to little kids causes brain and nervous system changes that result in a lot more than those sort of mental health things. It's also obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, learning disabilities, memory problems, earlier onset dementia, COPD, you know, Reproductive uh, diseases and disorders, cancers, um, pelvic inflammatory disease. So it seems like pre- oh, and autoimmune diseases. That's a huge component. Yeah, <laughs> that's who right I mean. Yep. <laughs> and um, I'm trying not to get a third right? by uh, healing now. It's mm-hmm. it's imperative, right? So so we now know that there that that changes happen in the brain and nervous system that dictate a lot of the way we heal, the way we fight off disease, and. What's interesting because we're talking about COVID, we're in the middle of the pandemic right now. And one of the things I knew is that one, is that an important way for me to not get sick, even if I got exposed, was to stay regulated. So mm-hmm. dysregulation, that's the word. That's the magic word that, that I, I learned about four or five years ago. That's kind of changing the way we think about this. Early trauma can cause brain dysregulation and dysregulation it's a measurable phenomenon. You'll see it in brainwaves. You'll see it in uh, measurements of vital signs. But those of us who are traumatized, when we think about something stressful, especially if we've manifested PTSD symptoms, not everybody does. Some people just float through. But with the PTSD symptoms, a stressful thought will start to cause brainwaves that normally flow in a you know, uh, together pattern into a... <coughs> And it feels like that, right? Mm -hmm. And then also heart rate and breathing, they start, instead of going together, normally they have a rise and fall together. They will start to go erratic too. And what we can't see, but what we can deduce from the symptoms is that changes are happening way back here that are changing the nervous system. It's changing blood flow. It's affecting, can we heal tissue? It's affecting whether we can send the, the hormones that balance, you know, uh, insulin goes out. Are we getting leptin? There's a counterbalance set of hormones for a lot of functions, and they're out of balance, um, which is what a lot of uh, autoimmune diseases involve. So, how do we come back and start to re-regulate our brain and nervous system? It's a it's an intense job, and so a lot of people are coming at it in a lot of different ways. Um, but it's a complete departure from the old school model of you go to therapy, you talk about what happened in the past, and if that doesn't work, you take medication. This is something totally different, and for people like me, far more effective and potent to Mm -hmm. get to the root of what's causing problems. So I can talk more about that, but there's your answer about PTSD. I call it childhood PTSD, and sometimes people are very bothered because I use them interchangeably and they're not the same thing. Complex PTSD is chronic, you know, PTSD from chronic stressor. Most of those cases are from childhood Childhood PTSD is something that everybody understands what I'm talking about, even if they don't know the science.
0: Right, right, exactly. So, so that distinction I think is um, is important and good for people. And so, you know, the reason why we are talking about it is because of the of the childhood exposure here. At least that's why I'm focusing it here on the show. Um, and uh, you know, the toxic stress, which is, I you know, I think it's interesting that it's not. It's a word that's actually gaining traction or a phrase that's gaining traction because of it, because there is the evidence, like you said, that, uh, you know, childhood toxic stress does do all those things. We know ACEs and everything that you rattled off. And, you know, it was really interesting for me to begin to link my rheumatoid arthritis triggers and flares to people (laughs) <laughs> and abuse. And once I actually got out of those situations, how I actually was able to this last year, stop taking one of my medications. I had two medications. I was running through my body because my the RA was so strong and so powerful. But then after I got divorced, left the abusive situation, recognized the people around me that were contributors to that and just kind of like sheltered away from everybody else for a very long time. And it just didn't allow a lot of people into my circle that if I felt that, you know, the triggering. And even when you talk about it, my chest tightens. Like it, that's just how profoundly the wiring is in there. It's like even talking about what contributed to my disease makes me feel amped again, you know, about it. And like, oh, you know, back down and back down. Um, so it is uh, it is pretty interesting how the body does respond to that. And um, and, and right now we're all kind of, you know, we're at a state of like heightened levels, even if we don't feel like it, but I feel like some of us definitely are more so because of that underlying, you know, pattern of, um, of our history. That's actually in there. Now, how are you doing through all of this? I mean, you know, there's a pandemic outside our windows and, you know, it's kind of a big deal. So. Yeah. Well,
1: (laughs) that's such a good question. Um, It's I heard this referred to yesterday by somebody's writing as the great pause. And I like that word for it. The great pause. Um, I haven't personally been touched by any of the illness. Nobody I know has gotten sick and um, financially my family is more or less. Okay. You know, my, my husband got furloughed a, a part-time and um, we can manage that. My business of uh, helping people with trauma is going great. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, so so we're doing okay financially. We're not having some of the stuff that just, you know, utterly takes you to the bottom of your stress. Mm -hmm. And what has been hard is the isolation for me. And, um, I guess the worst thing actually has been the uncertainty and not knowing, and especially like the first few weeks after, after we all locked down and we didn't know how bad it was going to be. And, I feel relieved, like it, it hasn't been nearly as bad as we feared at the beginning, and there's so much hope that we're gonna undo this fairly quickly now, and it's gonna be okay. Um, so I feel a lot better now than I did at first. But I, I kind of went into shock at first, and I went into survival mode, and from being a kid with a, a mom who was a drug addict and alcoholic, you know, starting from the age of six, I just had this instinct to like sort of like keep a, keep a go bag packed and be ready to just do whatever I need to do. And so I kind of like shut down a little bit inside at first and just went into survival mode.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Started thinking like, what are we going to do if we're homeless? What are we going to do if one of us dies? What are we going to do? And, uh, and as a result of going into that much kind of shock, I've, I've had about six weeks where I just couldn't work very hard. I I would work all day, but I just wouldn't get very much done. And it was this weird kind of fog, this like buffer between me and reality, and I just couldn't quite get out of it. And I kept working, and I kept doing things, and gradually it's dissolving. And then the good side of that, here's one thing that I've really enjoyed about this, if I may, you know, without disrespect to people who have suffered greatly. But I do calls twice a week with people all over the world. You know, I do this group coaching call for people who are members of my program. And then I do this free zoom call. They're both zoom. I do a free call with people who do, I do this, I teach this thing called the daily practice and it's a writing and meditation exercise that helps re-regulate that I've used for 26 years. And so I have a free course out there and then I invite anybody who's taken the course can come on this call every week and they come in from every country in the world. And, uh, I take some Q and a, we write together, we meditate together we talk about what's going on and it's the first time in my life that I've ever been going through something the same as everybody in the world. We had somebody, you know, in Nigeria and Uruguay and you plenty from UK and Germany and Iceland and uh, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, you know, people all over the world are coming into this call and we're taking turns talking and we're like, well, when I went outside, like everybody's going through the same thing. And, we were joking at the beginning that I'm a minister of unity, but it's been for my community. It's been this beautiful sense of being in something together Mm -hmm. and supporting each other and really not worrying about it too much that the way these things are scary is that I think, I think that we all have a a primal fear of, I call it getting kicked out of the igloo of, you know, that we have to stay in a tribe or we're going to die. Mm -hmm. And when you have CPTSD and your fundamental ability to connect with people is altered, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) I won't say ruined, but altered and Mm -hmm. in need of restoration, then stuff like this is really threatening. And I can't think of anything worse than having to shelter in place all by yourself. That Mm -hmm. just sounds horrible. So I've had my husband and my son. That's the second worst thing is being stuck with people when you have PTSD. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah stuck with them day after day (laughs) and we've had to we've had to like go through some things and I'm happy to report like I don't know that's in my because of my daily practice when I keep I just keep sort of like giving up the fear and resentment I have about stuff and seeing what's still there I keep finding that I actually feel really good about my family and where I am in life, but I freak out sometimes, and I just be like, "This is no good. I've made a horrible mistake. I never should have started crappy childhood fairy, and I should move into a. This is my. This is my like escape fantasy. I get a little trailer and live in the desert somewhere, and uh, and I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what happens after that. I just, I just like get out of here. Yeah. And uh, I had this night last week where I just got really mad about something, and I got in my car and I drove thirty miles, and then I was like, "Where, where am I going to go? Right there's you, you nowhere know to go right now. And for me, like my PTSD reaction to stuff feeling terrible is like, I, I need to at least like imagine that I can get out of here. And this whole idea, like I can't go anywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're not allowed to stay in a hotel or anything. I'm like I never do it, but I just want to know that I can. And um, so I've had to, it's been really positive in a sense. I, for me, like because I'm in this, because I'm every day, like just kind of processing out the fear and resentment that I generate, I'm free to hit the wall. I'm free to see my worst sides and have it come up. And so in a good way, this whole situation has been triggering for me about feeling trapped, feeling Mm -hmm. trapped. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you something, This um, this is super sensitive. I barely ever talk about this, but before I started to recover from PTSD, before that ever started, I used to use the thought that I get to die as my escape fantasy. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be like, if this gets to be too much, I could always kill myself. Mm-hmm. And I always needed to keep that thought like near. Mm-hmm. I didn't really ever want to do it, but I needed to feel like it was possible on any day. And I would think through, well, how would I do it if I had to do it? And I cared for somebody who had cancer once and I ended up with all their drugs and I kept them for a couple years. Not because I'm into the drugs, but because I just was like, "Oh, this could be a way out. My recovery really started the day that I took those and with a witness disposed of those drugs so because I didn't need a way to escape that way anymore. But I still from time to time feel like I want to go to a hotel. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, to me, I, I'm curious as to when you work with other people, if that's a common sentiment. Because I, I know that um, for myself, you know, that, that feeling of trapped, you know, before I started healing was just like it was soul crushing. Yeah. You know, and um and I know that my my own tendencies are like when it should just bug out, you know, like I just need to get away from this. Like I need to um, you know, I need to escape and I need to be able to do that. And when I couldn't feel like I could do that, you know, whether it was imaginary or real, just the feeling that you can't get out is um, you know, we always have an opportunity to go but sometimes we feel like we've been confined. Like our experiences make us feel like there is no way out because when we were children, we really couldn't. Right. So that, that intensity of like, this is too much and I can't handle this and I've got to go, you know, just can be, like I said, be crushing. And so now we're literally in a situation where we're all being told that we can't go anywhere. And, um, And it, it, you know, I wonder out loud, like how sometimes when we see people like rebelling against this is because they're just like, they don't, they don't understand how to have like, like you said, how to have a relief valve built in, you know, how to either reframe the experience that there's relief or, you know, to the extreme, like you said, like that, you know, I
1: don't, I don't know if I agree with that, but, but I would, but before we move on to that, to how people are dealing with this, I, you made me realize something that, um it's an emotional flashback mm-hmm. when you just said, yeah, when you were little, it's like, I it hadn't even occurred to me. It's like, it's an emotional flashback. And do you know about those Pete Walker to find them?
0: Oh, and I don't know about his wa- but I, I know about like, that flashback. Like, cause that's that feeling of like you, I, when I was able to relate that feeling to yeah. the, to the story, then it was like, yeah. I, it was less confining for me. I felt less trapped once I was able to say that feeling you're getting right now is you little you. Unable to go anywhere. You yeah. Know?
1: Well, this is worth mentioning right now. Just uh, Pete Walker, who is like one of the geniuses of this movement to help people be aware of what's really going on with childhood trauma. They find emotional flashbacks. So, so like in conventional PTSD, when a soldier remembers a battle, okay, that makes sense. We wake up sometimes, I just, I like wake up and I'm in this horrible state of mind. I just wake up like that. And, and uh, in my case, it has this weird, ugly mantra of like, I have to do everything, nobody cares. I'm gonna have to do everything. And I'm so angry about it. And mm-hmm. I wake up like that. It's a real pain in the ass for my husband. Now we know what it is. <laughs> we have a workaround. He's like, I think you have that thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go do my thing. <laughs> I go write and meditate. That's an emotional flashback, that needing to get away. And, and and it's an emotional flashback, and it has no words. And that's the thing. When something happened before you had language, when you had that, when the trauma happened before you had language, it'll start manifesting in this weird state of mind that has no sense or words to it. You can't even articulate what it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, anyway, you helped me realize that. Now we can proceed where you were going.
0: With this. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was just, you know, I'm curious about how many, how, uh, how how many other people that you've been working with have that set, like that is trapped a common feeling that people are having, you know, that is part of the struggle of what's, you know, of this experience. Um,
1: (laughs) I'll tell you, so I have about a hundred thousand subscribers across platforms and they, I get like hundreds of emails a day and I'll tell you the overriding messages. Um, I love this. (laughs) They say, I love this. (laughs) Finally, everybody's like, feels like I do, you know, and the pressure is off to when you go to the grocery store, you can just mind your own business and you don't have to like make small talk with anybody. And you can just like stay away and not make eye contact. And they're loving it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's, one strain of CPTSD is isolators. Isolation is like a huge thing. Even Even like I'm an extrovert, but I isolate, you know, I have my, mm-hmm. I have my special tricks to do it. And so that's a lot what healing is for me is to come out of isolation and connect again. But so a lot of people are just saying they love it. And in terms of the trapped feeling, that is a smaller percentage. Um, I'm a trapped person. I, I feel very frustrated with it, but I don't think when people are protesting um, lockdown, I, I don't think that that's pathological. I think that it's a, it's, it's part of the story. It's part of the mix of stories and considerations and trying to decide how to move forward.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and some people, whatever they're advocating around this, are going to take it to extremes, mm-hmm. you know, but for the most part, there are just very legitimate reasons to have mixed feelings about how to proceed. And I, as far as I can tell, most people have mixed feelings.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think, when, and the bell curve, you know, which is statistically happens a lot of places, you know, flower populations, cats, humans, you know, there's extremes and most people, you know, end up in the middle somewhere trying to sort out, you know, what to, you know, what to do and bouncing off of each other and stuff. That's interesting that you say, you know, and it's funny because you said extrovert. So the trapped feeling, and I just would wonder out loud, like, you know, extroversion is one of these personality things that um, evolve through DNA and experiences, right? And some people are driven for the social interactions and some people are driven to not have as much, yeah. it's part of the big five, you know, uh, personality factors, and um, and I'm you know I'm in the camp of like yeah I've been you know I've been sheltering in place my whole life like this isn't a big deal you know um, <laughs> you know a trap for me like when I say that was being trapped with other people and not being able to isolate and but the this this whole experience in itself is yeah, it's like, it's, it's fine. It's par for the course for me. Like I'm, I'm kind of rolling through it, but I can see my extroverted friends that are definitely feeling like, you know, they, 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 cause they have a drive to engage with as many people as possible. So I'm curious if most people are okay with this. I wonder again, where our survival mechanisms drive a lot of us to end up being more introverted. Like our escape was to get away from the nervous systems of the people around us. Like we just learned that it was safer yeah. not engaging with a lot of people than it was to, um, to interact with a lot of people. I mean, I feel like that that's, that's what made me like, you know, we talk about one of the hallmarks of CPTSD is having difficulties with relationships, with personal relationships. And, um, and you know, is it because we're, we want to be able to retreat away from a nervous system more often than not, and we can't. And so when we have to engage, we have have some difficulties there with that. Well, yeah,
1: something, I mean, I don't think of it as retreating from a nervous system. I just think people trigger us and the trigger's in here. It's in here. Mm -hmm. So people just being people, people organizing into groups. Groups are triggering for a lot of people with CPTSD. Like they're very attractive at first, and then it just becomes too much. Mm -hmm. You know, it's typical. So I don't think it, totally matches with introversion, extroversion, which is a natural sort of variation of people. But if people are triggering, there's only a couple things you can do if you're good at it, which is um, uh, you can isolate (laughs) to not get triggered. You can, um, but that's hard to sustain if you crave people. (laughs) You can um, try to control other people, which tends to ruin relationships so that they don't trigger you, or you can learn to calm your triggers. That's what I teach is how to Mm -hmm. calm your triggers so that you just have more flexibility.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and so that's what I wanted to, to kind of uh, talk about because this is such a unique situation that we're all in and we're in the middle of it, right? So we can't fix it right now, but we do need to figure out how to kind of come up with, you know, I always take a deep breath. I'm like, we need to come up with some deep breaths. We need to, you know, what are some ways in which while we're in the middle of the fight get through it so that we can come out on the other end and then figure out what the next steps are. You know, I've talked with a lot of uh, therapists so far right now in the heat of the moment, you know, consensus seems to be like, we can't solve it right now. What we just need to do is just we need to find a way to safely get through this so that we understand, you know, what's left for us and then see what we have moving forward because there is so much uncertainty. You know, there isn't any guarantee, like right now in Washington state, you know, we were hoping for a phase two opening and some of our counties are opening, but our bigger, more populated counties are still double the new reported cases that we're supposed to have in a 14 day period, you know, argue about the numbers, whatever you want to do. Reality is, as we just found out on Friday that where all these businesses were hopeful that within a couple of weeks, they'd be opening back up that now there's this, we don't know when answer. And that's frustrating and it's scary and it's angering and it's, you know, it has a lot of feelings. And so when you don't know where the finish line is. Oh, it's just over one more hill. Nope, sorry, I lied. It's like, we've all been on the car trips, right? And our parents have said, just a few more miles. And you know, it was bullshit. They were just trying to stretch you out as long <laughs> as possible. And
1: <laughs> you're, you're, you're like,
0: I, like that. right, yeah. It's like the goalposts keep moving. Lucy keeps pulling the football. I mean, we can all get that, you know, that sense of, you know, so, so how, do we, how do we find our ways to get balanced when we don't know where the end is so that we don't like, you know, again, tip too far one way or the other. Um, because we can't sustain that we can't ex- sustain that extreme which is really kind of i think critical here you know if you get too jacked you, and we don't know how long this is going to go it doesn't like our our bodies do get afflicted by it or you know people around us so what have you been oh yeah yeah, yeah. i have no
1: doubt the the lockdown is causing horrible horrible damage yeah. yeah so for
0: you when 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 speaking with people about again kind of bringing them back to you know some middle ground and middle point what can be really useful for people? Well, I think
1: it's like a lot of things in life. There's going to be people who have different needs around it. You know, some people are going to really need to go to a hotel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some people are going to really need to stay safe. They're immune compromised and they need to really stay safe. And I really love and respect all systems where we can accommodate people's different approaches and needs. Um, a com- and, and pay attention to emerging science, even though it's conflicting right now. We're getting conflicting studies, which is appropriate in anything that's just emerging. And as we start to piece together, like how how can we safely proceed? For people with PTSD, I would just keep saying, see, I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a person who's traumatized or who's struggling with mental health is to outsource decisions and responsibility about, about what you're going to do. And that's a lot of the people who come to me are coming from years and years of having sort of given up all their power to the mental health system. They felt like they weren't helped. They're, now they're bitter and they feel like there's nothing they can do. And it's this healing process first to just sort of bring it inside and say, you can begin to pay attention to your symptoms and you can begin to pay attention to what helps you and what hurts you and start guiding your life accordingly. And that sounds so simple. But a lot of people have lost that. And mm-hmm. especially like, and, and you know, someday, maybe I'll write an analysis of different like geographical personalities I see around trauma. But sometimes, the more um, people have had to be scrappy and invent stuff for themselves, the more flexible they are, about trying to own their own healing and pursue things that work. One thing works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the other person, but what works for everybody is to own it, Mm -hmm. is to own it and say, I'm going to keep finding what works. And so if you go to a therapist and it doesn't help, you don't have to trash that therapist or all therapy. You could try another one. Or if you just, you know, I went to 11 therapists, talking about my trauma doesn't help me. I ended up finding something else that worked, and um and so you know pursuing that is something i can own and if i had never done that if i had never just like taking it inside so my tools are a piece of paper i carry a pad of paper and a pen in my purse and now it's like it's like having oxygen underwater to me i can operate in a world that's triggering and harsh and i have a way to just keep handling my the traumatic reactions i get to things and over after 26 years I not only am good at handling life and flexible, but my gifts have emerged and I'm able to lead things and express things and help people and do that. And that's, that's what I, I as kind of my spiritual orientation is I believe everybody, everybody has gifts to bring. And the terrible tragedy of trauma is it suppresses that. Mm-hmm. People can't let it out. They can't express what they have to bring. They begin to try let's say somebody um, is a great orator and they get up to speak and they f- freak out and then cry and pee their pants and they're never going to speak again. Well, we just lost that orator. That's, <laughs> And so learning to calm our triggers is like the ultimate gift to the world. Mm-hmm. And somebody here is going to cure cancer and somebody here is going to keep the air clean and somebody here is going to save the animals who are being tortured you know somebody there's people here who are destined to do great things and so i i i'm on a mission here to help people like calm their triggers and not just so that they can feel better not as a replacement for some drug you know just to feel better it's not that's the feeling better is just the doorway it's not the goal it's the doorway so that you can get on and bring it what you mm-hmm. have to bring mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what, keeps me going.
0: <laughs> well, and that's a, you know, you brought up a, a great point too, that, um, you know, there is no one size fits all to any of this stuff. And because we've all got so many different experiences and things and we start off differently, just our DNA is going to be different, right? The cell combination that we have is unique to ourselves. Then on top of that, whatever lives we had, the people we were around us and all of their systems, you know, changed us all. That you know, there isn't, there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all. The only thing, like you said, is the common denominator is your wherewithal and your awareness and desire to want to be able to, to make those, um, those changes and to find out what starts to fit because it does work. I think that's the important thing is that it can work and it will work once you find the thing that starts to kind of like get to it. And I feel like once you do, at least for me, speaking for myself, I know this is hard for some other people, once you find the right combination then click, 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 <laughs> right? Everything can actually happen in, in some areas faster than you can imagine. And when yeah. you keep doing the same, and I've seen people doing the exact same process over and over again, not really making a lot of mo- you know, movement forward, um, thinking that that's just the best it's gonna be. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I, I do this, I go see my therapist, you know, once every two weeks and, you know, I take my, you know, all my medications and this is just, this is all, this is how great life is going to be. I'm still going to have all these issues, but that's it. And, um, and I know it's folly to say that everybody can be cured. Like I tell everybody, like my triggers are still there. Yeah. They haven't gone away. How I respond to them is different. Yeah. their influence on my life, you know, the negative things that happened because of it, or, you know, I'm, I'm happy to report those are going away. But in two and a half years, I was able to make huge shifts in consciousness and behaviors and, you know, and mindsets for myself um, because of finding the way that it actually worked, you know, really well for me. Um, you do a lot of journaling. Like when we talked the last time, you talked about, you know, um, the... Actually, it's know, not a
1: journal. I never
0: journal. I will okay. Say. No. But writing for you. <laughs> So is, um, is storytelling a part of your process that you work no, with people? No, at all. Okay. All right. at all. I know for some people it works out really well. So what is it that um, you think that is successful with your, with your community that you have that are really connecting with people with healing their PTSD, their CPTSD?
1: There's two parts. There's two parts. And, and uh, one is it's about writing fears and resentments. And this is a technique that was shown to me 26 years ago by this woman who at the time was 23 years old and fairly fresh off the streets and knew she was four years sober in AA. And I'm not an alcoholic, but I acted a lot like one. And when she met me and I told her how how badly I was doing, and this was back when I was, you know, feeling like I might need to kill myself, she said, whoa, I relate to that. Do you want to try what I do, what I did to get sober? And she taught me how to write fears and resentments on paper. Now I emphatically say this is not a journal. And I feel like I need a T-shirt that just says it's not a journal. <laughs> a journal is a rec- you're recording something. You're trying to remember what happened. You're maybe analyzing it. That is the opposite of what writing fears and resentments is. It's it is to get it out of your mind and onto the paper so you never have to think about it again. Now it may be sometimes the stuff that we have like fears and resentments about is something that um, needs to be dealt with, but that's a second process. That's not what, you know, that's a different, that's a different energy. So the fears and resentments that I'm getting on paper are a hamster wheel. And this is like the, this is what CPTSD produces, you know, just kind of going all the time and it's interfering. It's like wearing headphones with somebody talking to you or blasting music and simultaneously having a conversation. And so that needs to come off and just get onto the paper so that you can have a moment of quiet. So this is very, very different than talking about your story. Um, we now know that for most people with complex PTSD, talking about the trauma is totally triggering, will totally disable any ability to process, remember, or do something useful. So that old model going to therapy, you know, I have a, my most popular video ever is why I quit therapy. Sorry, I'm jiggling. Um, it was the the talking about therapy was would take my brain, throw it into chaos, and dump me out the door after 50 minutes of that. And I'd sit in my car and cry. Mm -hmm. Um, I when I learned to stop talking about it and to write it and read what I wrote to somebody who understood what I was doing, everything changed. It's a totally and 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 only in the past five years have I learned, yes, it's a different part of your brain. Writing and reading Mm -hmm. what you wrote is a different part of your brain, and you can bypass that trigger that's there. And I'm not going to vouch and say it's universally how all trauma is, but I have a hundred thousand people doing it. It's like the overriding message I get is this is the first time anybody described what it's like for me and nothing that they used to tell me makes sense. And so one of the things I used to hear all the time from everything, self-help books, groups, therapists, everything was, because I kept making these insanely self-destructive choices around men. I'd be like, pretty highly functioning and everything else. And so it was always like, what is a nice girl like you doing with a junkie, <laughs> you know, who then overdoses and dies? What's, the, what's going on with that?
0: We talked about this last, last time. And I was like, That's uh-huh. right. yeah, That's I right. know that. Like, what is that? That's <laughs> <Yeah>. the- <laughs> what is with that?
1: <laughs> it's so before language. It's so something that can't be described or talked about Mm -hmm. So, so what it is, is first it starts with learning to re-regulate that, that like the dysregulated thinking and the irrational part of the brain that takes over and just starts like propelling us and attaching to things and not detaching all that stuff. is like, it'll kill you. And so the writing and fears and resentments and sharing it with another person begins to just put a distance and perspective comes and relief comes and like this instant sense of relief came over me. So people are feeling understood about this. Oh, this is, I didn't complete that thought, but they would, uh, feeling understood, feeling understood that people would say, you must be trying to recreate your childhood and that I have never tried to recreate my childhood. I promise you that is never what was going on with me. I had a a really crappy, frightening childhood, a couple good things, but nothing in me wants to recreate that. It was unconscious that I had unconscious drivers pushing me into these self-destructive decisions. How are you ever going to deal with the unconscious? Well, talking about it turned out to just push any solution out into the future. As long as I was talking about it, I wasn't getting anywhere near the solution. I started writing about it and within two weeks I started to calm down. Like I started to get this mental clarity. Now, the I told you I had two parts to this. So the first part is learning to re-regulate through this practice. And there's, there's like other things you can do like, um, exercise, yoga, stomping your feet on the ground and feeling the ground under your feet, calling out left and right, left, right, as you stomp your feet. There's things like that, that you can support that dysregulation, but it's not enough in my experience. It's this writing of getting those thoughts out onto the paper. It's followed by, I'm a God person. As a result of how much this has worked for me, I'm just like, wow, this is something actually miraculous has occurred. But um, people can do my exercise whether they, um, if they're atheist, if they're agnostic, if it's nature or whatever it is for them that that they feel drives that healing. If it's nothing else, it's the healing force of your own body, your immune system, the thing that heals your skin when you scrape your knee. Right? There's something in you that knows how to heal and we're naturally compelled to heal. Later we die. That's gonna happen too. We're naturally compelled to die eventually. But for now, there's a natural healing process, and we just kind of want to get in the boat and let it carry us downstream. So the writing and meditation helps us get in the boat, and the stream begins to take us. And the second part is changing our lives. And I feel like this has never been addressed by a lot of the public health interventions or therapy interventions out there. But when you grew up with abuse and neglect, there was usually a lot of character problems going on amongst the adults and nobody was there to teach you. How do you go on a date? How do you make an apology? You know, how much should you say about other people when they're not present? When you're on the job, how much of your personal life should leak into into your work? You know, like, you don't know any of that stuff. You just show up, you know, just like feral (laughs) and try to make it in the world with all these people who were parented, you know? So there's life changes that have to happen. And also trauma shuts down our sensitivity, um, shuts down our empathy. And so a lot of the behavior that you'll see in somebody who's actively in trauma look a lot like sort of narcissistic tendencies, Mm -hmm. you know, and very, you know, sort of like really overreactive emotionally, very self-centered, hard time hearing other people. So it looks like that. But as recovery happens, that sensitivity comes back to other people. And then we can start to connect with other people. If we can learn to handle the triggers of other people, you know, we're so sensitive and that's part of growing up. And I just feel like, you know, sometimes I just say, this is like, it's a developmental delay. I was delayed, but when I'm recovering, I can do it faster than real time. So, you know, (laughs) when I started recovering, I was about 13 years old emotionally, you know, and I was 30 chronologically. I was really Mm -hmm. smart. I had a master's degree, you know, but, but then, Mm -hmm. I I needed to mature and I needed to learn to handle things and that's an ongoing process for everybody Mm -hmm. and with great with that great human sensitivity comes great imagination and great potential so that's kind of what I encourage people to embrace is learn to re-regulate learn to heal the problems in your life and so that's why a lot of what I teach is how to have relationships um, how to straighten out problems how to show up responsibly for work a lot of this stuff is countercultural, and especially like I grew up in Berkeley. And so uh, in addition to the trauma I went through, I had a lot of sort of like ideology planted in my mind that like corporations are bad and you should just screw the man, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you go to work like that, you know, you might want to, you might want to find a job where you're more like aligned, let's put it that way, more like aligned with success for everybody. And, um, and so I had a lot to learn just culturally about how to live, how to date, how to have relationships. And then the um, growing up in a, I grew up in a commune, um, a lot of the years our house was a commune, people were just having sex on the floor. So I was, you know, later as an adult, it's like, should you have sex on the first date? It's like, <laughs> you know, all of us are like, no, I just had, I, I had to, I, I was learning from the Brady Bunch and, <laughs> you know, I just, I didn't know all my sources were just unreliable. Yep. So I had to seek out, like, moral wisdom. I had to seek out, like, how do you be a good person? If you're feeling in, internal chaos all the time, there probably is something you need to straighten out in your own life. And what I was getting when I was seeking help, professional help, was a lot of um, kind of overvalidation. Like, hey, you know, if you feel, you know, that's not, you know, it's always caused by other people. That discomfort you feel is always caused by other people. In my case, sometimes that was true, but a lot of times it was in here. And Mm -hmm. I needed help dealing with the problems I was causing. And by the time I was 30, I'd say 80% of my problems were caused by me. I was just like stuff that I was doing. Um, The ways that I was treating people and going unconscious and not being accountable and honest and reliable with people. And it was all for my own survival. I didn't know what I was doing. I don't blame myself now, but it doesn't matter who's to blame. It's that I have to, I'm, nobody's going to move this forward except me, and I'm mm-hmm. going to have to do that by becoming aware and learning a better way of living.
0: Mm-hmm. So the fear, you know, and, so the fears and resentments, what's interesting is you're talking about this, and um, is... N- so therapy right now, let me just couch this, right? We're talking about this. You go into therapy, you're dealing with childhood traumas. You are kind of going back in time, trying to understand the relationships of a reaction today with an experience so that you can neutralize. That's, like, that's kind of like the math, A and B and right. C and you know divide right. by 10 or whatever. So that's how that works. I have seen people that have gone through that and have not gotten any success. Success in the sense that they've done it for so long that they can't actually identify the experiences, which can happen with CPTSD. And I've talked, you know, I've met with other people where they're like, I have a lot of dark spots. Like I have some gaps in memory. What do you do if you can't find the story? Like then then that system doesn't work. And what you're describing is who gives a shit what it happened? Let's talk about what's what's in front of you right now. What is it that you are afraid of today? right? Yeah,
1: well, I, you know, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. And hold on, I'm going to open my curtain because I've got a lot of shade going on there. There we go. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs>
0: um,
1: yes, but I wouldn't, I would, I would say who gives a shit is too strong a phrase.
0: Well, yeah, it's an adult show though, but you know, you know, I, I, I do oh, understand no, like, you I can, yeah. mean, swearing. Yeah. I don't, but yeah. I just mean to say like, it's not
1: that we don't care what happened. What happened was terrible and it's mm-hmm. real. What happened was terrible and it's real and it hurt. So it's not that we don't care but we just know the solution doesn't lie in knowing about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and, and thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Cause again, I am not, I'm definitely not minimizing cause I'm not in yeah. the camp of just forget your past. It has no bearing on your future. Like that's yeah. not true. Scientifically. That's not true. Yeah. Neuroscience tells me that that is not true, that that happened and it does matter today. It matters today. Right. Matters but for some you. people have a hard time reflecting and finding all the details and working yeah, through maybe. that, yeah, in Which a way that merciful. That might be
1: their brain putting them yeah. in a medically induced coma for their oh, own.
0: Protection. Yeah. Right, and so if you can't do that, then it feels like in the normal course of you know therapy, you know, in terms of go talk about your problems, go figure it out, neutralize your issue. Yeah. That doesn't always work for people that can't access that and can't resource all that. So. Well,
1: I have a theory. I have a theory. And I think a lot of ter- therapists have had trauma. Not all of them have, have actually gotten resolution for it. But, <clears throat> but presumably normal people who aren't, don't have CPTSD, when they sit and listen to somebody who had terrible things happen, they see this crazy behavior in the present. They hear about what happened in the past and they go, that's connected and now I have compassion for you. That leads to the illusion that if only that person could see the connection, they too would have compassion for themselves. And with compassion for themselves, they would no longer act out. I could see why they think that, but it's just, that's not what's going on. Just making the connection is not healing. Mm -hmm. It might be useful. It might be useful. I think, I think sometimes it just helps to know, first of all, okay, something was done to you. You're not crazy. And I think it really helps to know the science, which I hope more and more therapists and doctors will get on board with, you know, that you're, you're not trying to recreate your childhood. You're not just trying to avoid sex. You're just, you know, you're having an unconscious neurological phenomenon and that explains why things don't make sense in your behavior all the time. So it helps to know, okay, it's not your fault. But after that, just knowing it's not your fault is not enough. It doesn't do shit. Right. Just right. doesn't do shit. Yeah. And that's the trouble. And so that's where therapists are like, Well, great, now we know, you know, your mom was drunk. That's why. You <laughs> know? And you're just sitting out in the car crying. It's because you're not healed yet. The connection is not the is not the solution. It's it's some information. The solution is to start healing your brain. This is my experience. If you identify with the idea that your brain isn't functioning right, that you do things that are irrational, well, when people are dysregulated, left front cortex reasoning goes down, right front cortex emotions goes up, and that is exactly what it feels like. The brainwaves look like this, very overreactive. That's what it feels like. And, and you know, if, if every time you're faced with a hard decision or a scary situation, you start doing this, this is what your life is going to look like. A mm-hmm. bunch of weird relationships, people you never should have slept with you know, toleration of abuse, Mm -hmm. (laughs) blowing up on the job, um, wrecking Mm -hmm. friendships, making a scene at Thanksgiving. Um, That's what it looks like. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. what it looks like. And so when, by learning to regulate, we don't just become nice complaint, complacent Stepford wives. What we become is lucid Mm -hmm. so that we just have a choice. We just have a choice and we start going, you know what I I really do want to have I, I do want to go home for Thanksgiving. I know they're all going to get drunk. I know uncle so and so is going to say a bunch of sexist shit. You know. <laughs> I know the politics is going to come up and everybody's going to start hating on each other, but I want to do it and to have to have that flexibility to just go home and do it and kind of keep going off into the bathroom and having to write fears and resentments just be like <sighs> okay, yeah, I know they feel this way, I'm good, I love them, I love these people, and I just want to be connected, and uh, and then maybe, you know, bring a car, <laughs> bring a rental car, so you
0: can, <laughs> so you can bug out.
1: <laughs> be lucid, not to go into a delusion, like, this time everything's going to be different, you know, right. but also not to go, they're all narcissists. I'm a perfect baby. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like, everybody's screwed up. Um, We're all trying. And it means a lot to people to be able to stay connected. And to me, that's one of the big goals of recovery. Now I like, in my family of origin, I'm the one who's always trying to stay connected. And people don't want to be that connected with me. They're connected with each other, but not me very much. And, and, uh, you know, I just keep hanging in there. Sometimes I want to slam the door on it, but then I just keep hanging in there and think, nah, I think like staying connected with the people who gave you life and who grew up with you, that's, that's worth recovering for, you know, mm-hmm. just to show your care and love and to feel connected to them.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yep. Now, I I know you feel that way. I have my own because of, again, our experiences. So I keep the bandwidth open. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I keep the bandwidth open for everybody to not feel because we do talk about like on my show about cutting off because sometimes your best choice for you in order to get to yourself to a place of healing is to get rid of some of it. But for you, I commend you for doing that because I do know people that have that would equate their families as being loving. That doesn't mean they came out unscathed you know um, but they do want to maintain that connection and it is it can be difficult for people that don't know how to continue to do that and so I you know again there isn't one right way it's like you know if you had a you know troubling childhood you should cut off your family no that's not what that answer is for some that is the answer but for others that are trying to figure out like how do I do both how do I well, feel how do I you know and maintain connection
1: I would that's also look at it as a stopgap measure it's an emergency measure if you're just too damn triggered by it and you can't function and it's going to just like throw you into a terrible depression then it's not doing anybody a service to stay connected but the point of recovery isn't to get away from your triggers it's to be it's to not have them anymore
0: mm-hmm. and so
1: i could go work in a hospice with somebody who was mentally ill you know, and dying of whatever, you know, cancer. And they, and they, you know, I actually, my grandfather, when he was dying of cancer, he lost his mind a little bit. And he, he was on a catheter and he got really, he would go into these rages and he took his bag of pee and he threw it at his wife. But she forgave him because she knew like cancer's in his brain. Right. So, Ideally, like if you really, if you seriously want to recover, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. Where we just realize, like everybody's screwed up. It, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that we go into suicidal depression. Mm-hmm. And the more we can get free, and and I don't mean to be like on a high horse. I'm, ter- you know, <laughs> I get as triggered as anybody. But but that's my goal. My goal isn't to get away from everything. My goal is to is to be at peace with everything. I want to be at peace with everything as it is. And, uh, you know, just to like, when I die that people will go, you know, she was really, she had a lot of love to give. Mm-hmm. That's my mission. I just, I'm learning to love and my family, they're totally lovable. They, they're not that into me right now, but they're totally lovable. You know, <laughs> they're people who just try all the time to do great things and, and, uh, I'll be there for them when they want me, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well,
0: so how do people find you? Um, Because, you know, these, again, you've got a great following. There's a reason because you're very experienced in in this. And I think that, you know, um, you know, on your website, you're like, I'm not a therapist, but you know what, sometimes the best are the ones that kind of live through it get resourceful and creative and then yeah. come up with something that isn't been prescribed before. Right. Like that's where the creativity in the, like, yeah. you know, like where <laughs> there's just magic happens. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's not a discredit to you in any way that, um, but cause you are doing things that are helping people out, um, in tremendous ways and stuff like that. And so given where we are, like I said, in the context of this world, you know, this unifying, you know, uh-huh. drama that we're all in right now, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to have CPTSD to really benefit from these, these processes that you have. And so I, I do want to say that, like, if you haven't been diagnosed, air quotes around that by somebody, but you feel like, listen, I do get on a hamster wheel. You know, I have re-regulation, dysregulation issues. I've noticed myself to, you know, become triggered and not sure how to be, you know, and I've tried a process it didn't work and stuff like that. You know, I want to steer you towards, you know, you, listener, viewer, towards Anna pointing this direction in my camera. Um, So how can people, how can people get more from you? Well, you know (laughs) that it is, you could think of this as an alternative to
1: therapy, but a lot of people also do therapy and a lot of people in it are therapists. And in fact, in the year since I've talked to you, there's now all kinds of therapists who prescribe my videos to people as homework to just start understanding some principles and shortcut to them. So it's very compatible with whatever anybody else is doing. I'm teaching just basic common sense about how to heal your brain and how to change your life. Um, so you can find me. I have a website, crappychildhoodfairy.com. The liveliest community is on YouTube. The YouTube people, you know, are talking to me all day, telling me I learn so much about like what's happening with people on YouTube, and occasionally in all of this, I get the hate mail. (laughs) I get hate mail from people going, who the hell do you think you are telling people how to heal? What right do you have? What license do you have? And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just have really fabulous uh, experience (laughs) to teach from Mm -hmm. and I just make no pretense about that. Um, But it's a wonderful community where people just again and again, we hear like, never have I heard anyone explain what it's like to be me. And so when I talk about, getting free enough from your trauma to bring your gifts. I think that that's like what I've gotten to do as a result of like everything that I've done to try to heal. It's been so hard and I've been through so much. We didn't even talk about how, you know, I had a hard life for a while there. And now everything that I experienced is something that I can use to say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I understand what you're saying. And um, here's how you might be able to move forward from that. And so it's this incredible community of people where we um, affirm that we own this, we're moving forward. We can change our brains and we can change our lives. And we tune out people who say, this is going to take a very long time. And, you know, trauma victims are never really going to be the same again. We just don't care. You know, that's other people to worry Mm -hmm. about. And so people are getting on and we applaud each other for each of our successes and we have absolute openness and compassion for each other's you know, we have PTSD, mm-hmm. we do weird things, we struggle some days, you know, mm-hmm. like me driving into the night 30 miles and then turning around and coming home.
0: Because <laughs> there's no hotels open right now. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and all the links to Anna's stuff is going to be in the show notes as always. And if you want to hear more about Anna's story, um, circle back to season two, and you'll find our interview that we did before, um, because she did, uh, you know, she has gone through a lot and. Um, I, like I said, I remember the relationship discussion and it's like, man, that's a string of bad relationships. (laughs) Um, But, you know, trauma does do some really weird shit to our heads. Uh, And, you know, and like I said, I appreciate everything that you do. You know, it's, it's funny through this whole thing. Like I, I felt like once the, um, the pandemic started, I got, I got quiet because I was actually working on my book. And then I sat there and I thought, man, it's really weird that I'm not sending out a bunch of stuff, but I don't feel like the. I don't feel the drive to do it. And I think it's because for me, it was as it was coming in, I needed to internalize, you know, and so it, the, um, it felt like for myself, it would be a coping mechanism to try to push out onto it. And I'm like, what do I have to say right now? I'm trying to figure out what's going on in my head right now. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, for people like you that do these classes and these engagements and these forums and, you know, get these discussions is really beautiful. And it's necessary for people that really do um, want that, right? They want to connect with other people and talk and have a conversation. I'm a terrible conversationalist. Like, this is great. One-on-one awesome. Um, you know, going into a classroom, yeah. great, I can do that. But yeah. I will admit that, like, I have, like, my jam is not moderating a bunch of discussions from other like, people, but you're beautiful at it. So, you know, when you, <laughs> if anybody wants to talk with that. And I'm not saying like, you, I can't you do have that. A, you mute
1: everyone and I re- let people raise hands one at a time okay PTSD and others a bunch of people talking at the same time is completely overwhelming just it is
0: and that's why I actually like for my PTSD I get overwhelmed actually pretty quickly you know with that so I'm just like wow so I'm gonna do podcasts and write books and you know I'll do some coaching and stuff like that that, I'm so (laughs)
1: proud of you I can't wait to read your book that is fantastic well thank You you that i wanted to say about the pandemic it brought out something really cool is i before when i used to have somebody else shoot my videos it was i it was all planned and constructed the very constructed videos you know and now it's just like me talking into my device you know and talking Mm -hmm. and it got much more intimate and i think it's been a positive change that i won't go back from and i also got a lot of equipment to do it myself Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is great and um you know i have this other career i'm a video director and so, uh, the, you know, I've been sort of like learning about all these great ways that we can make videos remotely and every, and I, I'm just loving watching how we're all getting set free to kind of be creative at home and we don't have to fly everywhere and drive everywhere all the time. But I cannot wait till we can all get together in groups again. I'm so looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> yeah. I know. Even this introvert is kind of like, I need to be able to hug more people again. Uh, <laughs> like I have to do that. So Yeah. Uh, well, I've enjoyed my time with you again today. Um, so, thank you for taking up. Like I said, we had a, a nice conversation before the show started. Um, yeah. And I appreciate that we were able to do that as well.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so, and, you know, and thank you for everything that you're doing. This is an important time for the services that you offer. There's a lot of people, obviously, like this is hard. We don't know how long this will last. This yeah. is, again, Memorial Day in May of 2020. Yeah. It looks like we're in this at least several more months. Um, and the economic recovery for something like this is probably going to take close to two years. I mean, that's about how long we were dealing with, with the recession, you know, that I, you know, um, 10 years ago. So this has got a long, hard row ahead Nobody of us. not into that at all, but yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I don't
1: think we know. I just don't yeah. think we know. I think no, it's I, they, to acknowledge we don't
0: know. Yeah. We, yeah. we have
1: uncertainty
0: is <laughs> what we have. Right. And that's triggering. Yeah. it's <laughs> so, triggering. Yeah. yeah. So
1: if it's more comforting to believe it's two years. <laughs> But well,
0: I figure if I put it out there and I know it's not tomorrow, then it's like, then it's like to me, that's to, and I'll say this, this yeah. is me. This is how I balance. My balance is, is if, there, if there's a timeline out there and I have to find a way to be at peace with today because I don't know right. when tomorrow actually is. And if right. tomorrow is probably a ways out, it makes it more important for me to say, well, then how do I find peace and appreciation and gratitude for today? Because yeah. that's the guarantee that I have is today. Yeah.
1: Well, and as entrepreneurs, how do we just keep adapting, Mm -hmm. you know, and here we are, we're doing digital media, so we're okay. And that's the thing, like everything's changing all the time. It's never going to be how it was three months ago. Yeah, that's for sure. It's just something different and we can just keep like running towards it in a good way. And, and as long as we love one another, as long as we love one another, we're going to be okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: 100%. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank
1: you. It's really nice to see you again. And, wh- and what's the latest on your book? When can we see it? Um,
0: so it's a business book. So this summer turned out to be a really terrible time to publish business books. So it was supposed to come out when uh, back in January. The original publication was for this fall. The publisher right now is looking because it is a, a business book geared towards women. And it has, a lot of, um, you know, it has a lot of neuroscience and psychology woven in with entrepreneurship and it looks like it's going to be early part of 2021, sometime between January and March, which is Women's History Month. And so the publishers are now looking at it because it is written towards women and it's a, an empowerment and, it's, you know, um, you know, in that manner that it may actually come out with March. It's possible to come out earlier. But like I said, you know, we're right now doing edits and the final manuscript will be finished up like I wrote it. The editors got it. We're doing the edits. Then we get it back and we tie all the loose ends together. So by the end of the summer, it'll be, and then there'll be a firmer schedule. So it's it's, But I'd say it's going to be first part of 20, 21, 21. It's so weird to say twenty one. That's good. That sounds twenty twenty one. That sounds yeah.
1: that sounds good. That it's it'll be no time at all. That's something in COVID. Time flies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or 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 it's like. <laughs> it's only monday (laughs) right i know (laughs) right it's like these brain waves of like wow it feels like it's been it's like but we've only been this 85 days and it's felt like (laughs) thank you for listening to one broken mom you can find podcast notes on my website at amie and there i'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Karakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.